All right, so we have a real special uh, guest uh, here this morning, and uh, most of you, probably all of you, have never met him. We do have a few visitors here this morning that heard that he was going to be here, and so maybe they're acquainted with him. But John, I just found out this morning that this is actually the first time that you've actually been to our church, right? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to share a little bit more information with you, but let's welcome John and his wife, Brooke. Brooke, come on up here, please. Bring your little baby up here, okay? Let's welcome them to our church. And uh, John is going to be speaking with us here tonight. But let me give you a little bit of history here uh, about John and Brooke. All right. Now, I don't, I'm not sure, John, but is this the first time that I've, act that I've actually met you? Yes. It is? Okay, very good. So take this microphone. That'll be yours from now on, okay? All right. So uh, let me explain to you what's going on here. John's dad. Hello. Yeah. He's going to be a preacher one of these days. John's dad and his mom, their names are Jay and Wendy Louvier. They were the youth pastors here at our church over, I'm going to say 40 years ago maybe, maybe longer than that, okay? 40, 45 years ago, they were the youth pastors at this church, all right? And so lo and behold, I get a call from his mom, Wendy, and she says, Pastor Jerry, Pastor Jerry, my son's an evangelist, and he would love to come out to your church. Can you please have grace and mercy on him? I don't know. I don't know if she's watching right now. I'm just kidding. You know how mom, you know how moms are. They, they fight for their kids, right? Anyways, uh, so I said, of course, of course. Uh, now, you know, th these are hard times right now because a lot of churches are struggling uh, a lot of churches are having to deal with this COVID stuff. A lot of people are still not coming to church the way they need to come to church. So it's a pretty tough time right now for evangelists. But um, anyways, you guys took a step of faith, and you hit the road anyway, right? In spite of everything that's going on in the world, you said, we're just going to go for it in the name of Jesus. And so they're here, and uh, I'm sure that his dad has shared so many stories with them uh, about his their time here at church. But uh, John, before you even say anything, okay, before you even say anything, I want you to have a seat right there, you and your wife. And can you show that video really quick, please, for me, Nicolette? This is Terry Brim. Most of you know who Terry Brim is. He's one of our staff ministers here at church. He and his wife, Sandy, are on vacation. and Otherwise, they would hear, be here personally to share this. But I want you to hear this testimony from Terry Brim, Reverend Terry Brim, and uh, just to give you a little bit more connection with John and Jay and the church and the history and all the things that have been going on. So go ahead and see if we can make this work, okay? Thank you, Nicolette. Hello, Chatsworth. Uh, Terry here. Um, Pastor Jerry asked me to say a few words about Jay Louvier. Many of you might not know Jay Louvier. He was my youth pastor back in the 1970s uh, when I came to the Lord. Actually, it was in 1975, Jay led me to the Lord. Uh, it was after a bread box service at 10 o'clock at night on July the 11th. Um, we went to the prayer room, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and Jay was right there leading me. So first of all, Jay, if you're watching this, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the time and the effort and the faithfulness you gave to the Lord. I'm an example of what you and what the Lord can do. So thank you. Thank you for that. But I can also say as a youth, I was 20 years old at the time. I can tell you it was a great time for me as a youth uh, because I learned all about the Lord through your ministries. I went to the Friday night Redbox services. I went to your Monday night 
Bible studies um, at your house. And I think one of the things I really enjoyed about those Monday night Bible studies was the time after the Bible study, actually. I enjoyed the word, but afterwards we'd have a thing called the afterglow. Remember the afterglows? Um, I enjoyed those because we would sit down on the floor, dim the lights, and just worship the Lord and take time to do that. And we just would go and go and, and until the Lord had ministered to everybody in the room. And it was just a time to get really close to God. And I just really enjoyed those afterglow services. Um, and you might remember my wife, Sandy. She was Matthias at the time, but now she's Sandy Brim. And she was actually on your worship team. And she did a lot of things with you. She had a lot of time. She remembers going to the boys' home uh, down there. I think it was on DeSoto Avenue, I believe, or maybe another street. But I believe it was on DeSoto. And she would minister at the boys' home on the worship band. And she remembers also going to Arizona with you. And you would minister at the uh, Indian reservations, give away clothes. And, and that was just one of the memories that she had, along with many other things that she had involved uh, with you and your ministry. Um, also, both of us remember the youth retreats. We really enjoyed the youth retreats. We'd go to Blue Jay up in the uh, San Bernardino Mountains, and we would have uh, Jeannie Roberts' cabin there. I, I remember just having time where we would just really enjoy being there as youth and getting close to the Lord and, and enjoying those services. And so there was many other things we did, many other trips, many other things that we did. But just to say thank you, Jay, for all of the time that you spent with us, you dedicated to us and, and gave of yourself. And so, Jay, it was a great youth upbringing, and I just want to say thank you for all of that. And from my wife, she says thank you, too, and we appreciate all the time that you spent. Okay, hope you're doing well. Hope everything is good with you. And uh, maybe we'll see you sometime. Who knows? Okay, bye-bye. That was awesome, amen? So uh, just a little bit more history coming up again, you guys. I know that I'm giving, getting you some exercise here. So Jay was Terry and Sandy's youth pastor. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but Terry Brim and Sandy were my youth pastors when I first came to the church, okay? So it's a little bit of a chain reaction here that occurred here, and it was through Terry and Sandy Brim's ministry, as well as another a youth pastor, uh, um, Torres. No, 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 no. I can't believe I just, it just, Pete Torres, yes, Pete Torres. So Pete and Terry were the youth pastors here. Can't believe I forgot his name. Sorry, Pete. And uh, so they were the ones that helped Julie and I and discipled us and got us to where we're at here today. So uh, it's interesting how all these things work out. Amen. There's a lot of heritage here, a lot of legacy. So now, finally, John, you get to say something. All right. So go ahead and just share a little bit about what God is doing in your life and your family. They have three beautiful kids. Okay. This is just one of them. Uh, just share a little bit about, you know, your life and your ministry and what's been going on with you guys. Okay. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll just start off by saying, um, yeah, it, when I called you and reached out, I thought it was a long shot because like you said, a lot of churches, uh, I hear we're just opening up. We don't know how things are, but your pastor, Pastor Jerry, you opened your arms so wide to me, and it's been such a blessing and so gracious. Um, this is the cherry on top for this, this, this circuit that I'm doing right now to be here this morning. 
Um, but just a little over a year ago, uh, prior to this, all I've ever done is music. And so I also want to say thank you to the worship team. That was phenomenal this morning. You blessed me. Um, but I'm a sucker for worship. Uh, that's what I've done since out of high school. I was in touring bands and then worked at churches. And for the last four years, I was up in uh, Minnesota as a creative director. And just about a year ago, uh, God started shifting uh, the season of ministry that I was in. And I called my dad. I never thought I would say this ever. Uh, people were like, oh, you're going to be a minister. I said, no, that's not me. I do music. I do music. And God has a wonderful sense of humor. And uh, I said, dad. He goes, what? I think I'm supposed to be an evangelist. <laughs> and, uh, but we didn't know when to go. We didn't know. Um, and we just kept praying for the green light. And just about in, uh, in May, we moved back to Texas, started making some phone calls. That's how quick all this was. And uh, we hit the road in July. And uh, we've been preaching and seeing God do some amazing things. It's just been a blessing, the doors that have opened and the miracles that we've seen. And to be here this morning, thank you so much. Amen. Very good. And uh, I just, again, I found out this morning that you've never even seen the bread box. you got to go take a tour of that bread box because a lot of stuff has happened in that little building there. Okay, a lot of powerful stuff. I do want to hear from your wife. I know she's got a full load of children there, okay, but a little boy there, but and his cowboy boots, all right? I like that. Uh, but we do want to hear from Brooke. And uh, just what did you think when your husband said, I think I want to be an evangelist? What did you think about all this madness? Honestly, I was really excited. All right. That's great. Good. <laughs> we uh, both of us have spent time touring and in ministry and uh -huh. separate times in our lives. And we always felt that would be a part of our calling together. And we just didn't know what it would look like. Like he said, I thought it would be music. We had no idea we would be taking three kids on the road. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's been a blast. It's been an adventure. And uh, uh, one thing, you know, God, God said very clearly, go west. And we weren't sure what that would look like. You know, we're hearing a lot of different things about California. Uh, to be honest, a lot of negative things. A lot of people just kind of moving out and abandoning this place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been here a month. And one thing we've seen, God has not abandoned California. <laughs> the church here is strong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where, where, there's, where, where darkness is present, the light is just that much more mm -hmm. clear. Mm -hmm. And we fully believe we're excited to be a part of this new movement. And I think it's going to be birthed here in California, just like the former one. And where California goes, the nation goes. So we're mm -hmm. excited to see what the Holy Spirit is going to do through this state. Amen. Very good. I like that. Very good. Okay. So uh, we're going to have them prepare to minister for you here this morning. And like I said, their parents uh, have done, uh, we owe a lot to their parents. We really do. And I know that. It's hard to try to fill their shoes. I know it's a tough call for you, a lot of responsibility, but I'm sure that they're really excited. Let them know that all this is recorded online. I'm not sure if they're watching right now. Okay, are they? Okay, good. Hopefully they are. All right. One thing, though, I just got a text from Ken Crawford. Many of you know who Chaplain Ken Crawford is. And uh, he mentioned that he wanted us to pray for, he, I think he said 193 police officers have died since January. It says this. Let me just read this text to you. It says, um, hold on. Please pray for 193 police officers who have lost their lives in the line of duty since January. So, John, with your microphone there, 
I'd like for you to please pray for not only these officers that have passed away, their families, but all of our first responders, all our police and sheriff, and continue to pray for Robert Torres. He's in the academy right now, training for to be a sheriff. But can you lead us in prayer for all those officers that have lost their lives and their families, okay? Father, thank you so much for the earthly testimony that these officers put forward. Yes. You said in scripture that no greater love hath a man than one that would lay down a life for a friend. And these are earthly representations of that scripture, Father. And I pray right now over the families, I pray over the children that lost their fathers, that you would become the father to the fatherless, that they wouldn't grow up uh, uh, with hatred or anger or sadness, that you would be there for them, Father. They would grow up strong and in your ways, Father. We ask for the continued protection over the police, the first responders, the firefighters, medical personnel, that you would guide them, that you would lead them, that you would be with them, and a shield of protection around them continually, Father. We thank you for all these things. We pray comfort to the families and guidance to our leaders. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Very good. Stay up here because I want to pray with you a little bit, okay? All right. So we're going to have our ushers come forward. It's our tradition to receive an offering for any of our guest speakers. So those of you that are able to give at this time, uh, we would really appreciate your support. Uh, those of you online that wish to give towards their ministry, please uh, do so, and we'll make sure that they do receive it. Uh, but right now, let me read some scripture to you in terms of the ministry of the evangelist and how we need to support it. It says here in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, if you could put that on the board for me, on the screen for me, please, Nick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it says this, And he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, I want you to understand that it's part of our responsibility. This is what we've always done for many, many years. I know that we've cut back in the last couple of years because of the COVID and the restrictions and everything. But it's our responsibility as a church to support the ministry of the evangelists because they really don't have a home base to work out of many of them. So they depend a lot on their survival, on the ministry and the gifts that they receive from the churches that they visit. So let's uh, take that to heart. We're going to pray for them right now. We're going to pray for their ministry. And we're going to pray that God would bless this offering that we're about to receive, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this step of faith that John and Brooke took, Lord. And I thank you that they're both excited. And I can tell that they're both in unity about this decision, Lord God. It's, it's such a blessing, Lord God. And we pray that you'll just continue to bless their children, Lord, and that this will just be a, a, an impactful event in their lives, Lord God, of how you are so faithful. We pray for your blessing on their lives, for your protection, for your provision, or for, for resources, Lord God, for your anointing, Lord God, wherever they go, uh, Lord Jesus, that the power of God would flow through them, Lord God, and that you would minister life to the people that they are going to be speaking to, Lord God, which is a unique call for the evangelist, Lord, to go out into these different churches that they visit and, and to allow your spirit, Lord God, to, to pour out onto the members of that church. And so, Lord, let your will be done in this place here today, and let it be done in the 
as they continue on this journey that they're on, Lord God, for the next month and a half. Bless them and encourage them. Bless this offering that we're about to receive to support the ministry of the evangelist that is biblical and that is necessary and that is part, Lord God, of the entire body of Christ working together for the edifying and equipping of the church. Bless it now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Very good. So let's go ahead and officially welcome Evangelist John Thomas Louvier to our church. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, thank you, church. It's, uh, wow. I'm, I'm almost speechless, not quite. I, I hope I don't go completely speechless because that would be awkward this morning. Uh, but I am overwhelmed to be here. I, I told Pastor Jerry, and again, thank you for having me. Uh, this, this place is kind of the stuff of legends to me. Um, I, I grew up in, in California. In fact, I live not too far down the street. It used to be an apartments called, they were called, I think there's something different now, Loreline Gardens uh, in Chatsworth. <laughs> yeah, someone said, yeah. And uh, then we moved to Texas. But I, uh, I never had the honor of, of getting to visit here. And so I heard stories. I heard stories uh, of a man that walked through those very doors right back there 48 years, seven months, and one day ago. He walked in, has no idea how he got here because he was that drunk. And he sat on that back row right there. He was getting ready to make his, his uh, quick escape as soon as the preacher said amen. He doesn't remember what the pastor preached. He just remembers that at one point, pastor said, come down here and give your life to God. And as my dad tells the story, he sat back here and his head said, nope. And his feet said, yes. And I imagine he was somewhere around here. When the pastor pointed at him and said, sinner, get on your knees and repent. And he said, I don't know how you got me down here, but there is no way you're going to get me on my. And before he could finish the sentence, he hit his knees, tears streaming down his face. He was instantly sober, instantly healed. All the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation was gone. He didn't meet a religion. He didn't meet a doctrine. He didn't just meet a building. He met a savior. And this church, you hear the stories of how they poured into his hunger to know more about this savior. And then one day they gave him one of the greatest opportunities that he's ever had, as he says, and that was to lead the young people. He became the youth pastor. And uh, you hear stories about the afterglow and the bread box, of how he opened his house almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the youth. You hear the stories. You hear of, of the movement that God did within those young people. You hear of how that desire to preach the gospel grew and grew and grew until he became an evangelist and this church launched him out, sending him out to preach the gospel around the world. And as, uh, when he was still here, I hear the story, and this one is marvelous to me. He met a young lady that he would fall head over heels for. And he proposed at the foot of the cross. And I have seen the pictures of their wedding right here. And that couple would later have a son. And now that son gets to stand here nearly 50 years later. That is some big shoes to fill. So thank you so much for this opportunity. 
It is an honor above honors. But I do have to say that the greater honor is getting to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think there is a higher honor that could ever be bestowed upon a human being than ever doing that. So thank you for allowing me that honor. And what I want to share with you this morning is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and that is John 11.35. And it's a unique verse. It holds the distinction along 1 Thessalonians 5.16 of being the shortest verse in the Bible. It reads simply, Jesus wept. Now, while the sum total of that verse is only two words, I believe the entirety of its message captures the heart, the passion, the wisdom, and the might of our wonderful Savior. But before we, 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 we understand the gravity of that verse, maybe we need to start in the very beginning. Does that sound like a good idea? And if you don't mind, I'm going to take this coat off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up sweating anyways by the end of the day, and this is just going to hurry it. So we start off in John 11, verse 35. Where was I at? Oh, we'll actually start in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So straight away, Jesus sets forth a wonderful promise. What does he say? This sickness is not going to be a victory for death. No, it's going to be a victory for God. Continuing on in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Doesn't that sound a little weird? Sounds counterintuitive, right? And, and so this is what Scripture's told us. It says twice that Jesus really loved Lazarus. And then it tells us that he hears that he's really sick. And then it tells us that he waits two more days right where he is. Why? Well, the Scripture gives us the answer. It's that little word, so. You see, I believe the little words are so vitally important in Bible study. I believe they are the unsung heroes of the scripture. You see, that little word presents to us a cause and effect. What proceeds so is the cause and what follows is the effect. Take, for example, if I was to say, I was hungry, so I ate. The cause is me being hungry. So, and what follows is the effect of me eating. And the same applies here, right? We all understand the effect of Jesus waiting two whole days. What precedes the so? Jesus loved these three. You go on and you read all the way up through, through verse 20, and you'll see that Jesus does, in fact, return to Bethany in Judea. And then Martha hears that he's coming. She runs out to meet him. And look at what she says 
and verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You go on a few verses later, and Mary is going to echo the exact same words. You move down to verse 32. It says that she comes to where Jesus is. She falls at his feet. Read what it says. She echoes it word for word. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever found yourself echoing those same words? Where are you, God? Where were you when my marriage was dying, when my finances were crumbling, when my business was collapsing, when my relationships were on their deathbed, when my health was falling? Where were you? And you're left wondering why. Why would he wait two more days? I want to turn over to another passage of Scripture, one that I believe parallels this verse and one that we can all find ourselves in, and that is in 2 Kings 13, 20. But before I read verse 20, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. It's about a man named Elisha. And we're first introduced to Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 18, when God commands the prophet Elijah to appoint him as his successor. We move into 2 Kings in the opening chapter, and we see that God is, in fact, getting ready to take Elijah away. And in 2 Kings... Verse 9, Elijah asks Elisha, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha responds, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. In verse 10, Elijah replies and says, you've asked a hard thing nevertheless. Should you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so, but if not, it will not be so. You see, Elijah was an amazing prophet. He had done eight wondrous miracles, and now Elisha was asking for double that. Go on, read verses 11 through 13, and you'll see that God does in fact take Elijah up in a whirlwind. His mantle falls to the earth. Elisha sees all of this. He walks over, he picks up the mantle, heads over to the river Jordan, And in verse 14, he strikes the waters of the River Jordan. They split into two. He walks across on dry ground. He has just been given his very first miracle. And so that brings us to 2 Kings 13, 20. Now up to this point, Elisha has done 15 miracles. Look at what it says. This is really cool. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. Well, that's awkward because Elijah had eight miracles. And now Elisha is dead and buried, having been only given 15. Looks like God can't do simple math because eight does not doubly go into 15. I don't care which math system you use, right? What happened? Where's the promise? And I can tell you right now, beloved, with utter transparency, no reservation, no hesitation, I have said those exact words in my frustration and my desperation before God. I've watched him. He he, he gives me a, a, a promise, a vision, 
a dream, and I get really excited about it. And, and, and I begin to watch it grow. And it gets bigger and bigger, and, and I can start to smell it. And it gets bigger, and I can start to taste it. And it gets bigger to the point where, where I can almost reach out and touch it. And then just before it becomes a reality, I watch it die. And, and, and I find myself going, God, what, what happened? Why, why was my life... My calling, my vision, my dream, my ministry, my, my promise, my purpose, cut short. And maybe you find yourself right there this morning. Maybe you find yourself in the shoes of Mary and Martha, and you feel like God has abandoned you. But see, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9 says what? My ways are not your ways, nor are your thoughts my thoughts, says the Lord. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is not a flippant answer. I promise you. This is not just one of those, those Christian uh, bookmark sayings of que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. That it's in the Lord's hands, just forget about it. That everything happens for a reason. That's not what this verse is saying. These are the words of a loving father. Purposely etched for you and I. And that brings me back to my favorite verse. John 11.35. And what a sweet verse it is. You see, John puts this scene before us. Of here's Jesus. And he's surrounded by Mary, Martha, the disciples, and many others. And they're asking, why? How could this happen? They're, they're, they're weeping. They're wailing. They're mourning. They are hurting. And, and so many times, we, we have this, 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 this image of Jesus, our Savior, etched in our heads of this all-powerful yet very stoic Jesus. But how does scripture say he responds? Jesus wept. Why? Lamentations 3 tells us that it goes against the very grain of God's heart to see his children suffer. God can't stand to see his children suffer. What does Isaiah say? It's the prophecy of Jesus Christ, the prophecy of the gospel. It says he came to give us freedom. He came to give us life. He came to give us beauty instead of ashes. Joy instead of sorrow. Praise and thanksgiving instead of depression and despair. You see, he came to give us good things, not bad things. God cannot stand to see his children suffer. And so Jesus wept. And don't think for a minute it's because he just found out that Lazarus died. I've heard someone say that to me. Oh, he loved Lazarus, so he died. I'd ask you to recall the promise given earlier in John 11, that this sickness shall not be unto death, but will be for the glory of God that through it the Son of God may be glorified. In fact, if you go on and you read verses 11 through 15, you'll see that Jesus states quite clearly that he already knew Lazarus was dead. In fact, that's a really good idea. Let's read that. That sounds exciting, right? So these things he said... And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, 
He will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. And nevertheless, let us go to him. Oh, did you start to see the revelation of Isaiah 55 in that last statement? Did you see the heart of the Father? I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you might believe. What's he talking about? You see, Mary, Martha, and the disciples had witnessed Jesus do a vast number of miracles, including healing the multitudes of ailments and diseases and sicknesses of all kinds, incurable ones. And this is more than likely why they reached out to him in the first place, right? But he didn't want them to stop there. He didn't want them to live in the shadow of someone else's testimony. He didn't want them to just, just replicate what they had seen and, and, and focus on someone else. He wanted to give them more. He wanted them to witness something that would forever change their lives from that day forth. He wanted to give them so much more. And the same goes for you and I, church. He wants to give us something so much more. I want to read one final passage of scripture before the continuation of these two. And that is Ezekiel 37. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh, Lord God, only you know. And so God takes the prophet Ezekiel out in the spirit over this valley, and, and everywhere he looks is nothing but bones. And scripture is sure to give us a description of the bones. You see, the description that it gives us not only tells us that the bodies were long deceased, but the bones themselves have been forgotten, abandoned, forsaken, and left unprotected for so long. They were sun-bleached. They were dry. And so God says, can these bones live? <laughs> and I just see Ezekiel, you know, he's kind of sitting there and he's like, uh, you know, God, I'm just a man. And, and I'm surrounded by everything that looks like destruction and chaos and despair. And all I see is death. But you, you're God. And you can see life. And I want to call your attention, and maybe you caught it. It's in the beginning of, of this passage. It says, set me down in the midst of the valley. There's those little words again. Notice it doesn't say a valley. Some valley, one of many valleys, it's a very specific valley. It says, the valley. And I liken it to the one mentioned in the 23rd Psalm. Maybe it's the very same one. The valley of the shadow of death. But what does scripture say? Even when we find ourselves there, we have no reason to fear. Why? Because God is right there with us.
And, and I want to point something else out to you, and, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of that valley set down, maybe even right dab in the middle of it by God himself, and you find yourself in a fight for your life. A fight for your job, a fight for your relationships, a fight for your finances, a fight for your health. And, and, and it looks like the whole world is caving in on you. But look at what else that verse says in the 23rd Psalm. You anoint my head with oil. Right there, in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, at a table surrounded by your enemies, God has anointed you. pastor was saying earlier, and so if there's any other ministers you're watching online or maybe you, you walked in here today, I know that this past season of ministry has probably felt like hell on earth. I have watched so many pastors throw up their hands and go, I don't know what to do. How do I lead through this? I have, I have woefully saw pastor after pastor after pastor give up their church, give up their calling, give up their ministry, give up their testimony because they don't know what to do and they feel like the anointing has left them. But again, what does the 23rd Psalm say? In the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, at a table surrounded by your enemies, he has anointed you. But what else does that verse say? You're at a table that's a feast. You're not begging for the scraps from God's table. We don't have to beg for the crumbs and say, God, if you just may, it says that we come boldly before the throne. He wants you to feast on the glory that is him. And then it says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. God is so far beyond the little measly cups we keep bringing him. He's so far beyond it. We don't have to go to God like little Oliver Twist and say, please, sir, may I have some more? He is so far beyond our cups. He talks about bringing us through rivers and mighty waters. He wants to flood us through his glory. He's so far beyond our cups. And if he's anointed you in that time, and I love what that says, he who was and is and is to come, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same goes for your anointing. It's not over. And so in the middle of that valley, if we just learn to quiet ourselves, I'm sure we will hear the exact same thing Ezekiel did. Can these bones live? Only you know God. But you see, God loves dead things. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinew on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slains that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. You see, this is the testimony he wants you to have. This is the experience he wants to give you, that that which the world What's your friends, what's your family, what other Christians perhaps thought was long dead and forgotten and abandoned and forsaken. God will raise to life and it will become an exceedingly great army that not even the gates of hell could ever hope to stand against. John chapter 11. It looks like Jesus was too late. He waited. He sat around. And now Lazarus is dead. The story is over. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Now, church, this next verse, verse 40, I want you to highlight it, write it down, circle it, take a screenshot of it. If you're on your phone, uh, text it to yourself. I don't care what. I want you to remember this, verse 40. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to you, Jesus said to me, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of those standing by, I said these things that they would believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Most of you know what he said, so shout it out with me. Lazarus, come forth. Amen. And now when he had said these things, he cried that out. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. And I want to call your attention to the last part of that verse. I'm going to read it again. And he who died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Not only will he breathe life back into you, not only will he raise the things from the dead that you thought were gone, but that which has held you down, that which has kept you captive, that which has bound you, your struggle with addiction, your guilt, your condemnation, your shame, your inadequacies will be loosed and you will be let go. Second Kings 13. It looks like God miscalculated. Looks like he can't count. The promise fell one short. And now Elisha isn't just dead and buried. He is way dead. In fact, scripture lets us know that just about a year passes. And now he's nothing more than a pile of bones. Verse 21. And so it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. 
And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. You may feel dead. You may be ready to count your dreams, your vision, your calling, your marriage, your relationships, whatever it is, your struggle with addiction as having bed gone to bed too long, too dead, too far. But even when you think you're dead, God's not done. 16 miracles. Our God will fulfill each and every one of his promises. He says that again and again and again in this scripture. You see, God loves dead things. Why? Because he gets to bring them back to life. And then we know that he alone is God. You see, nothing else can do that. Nothing. And don't misunderstand me. The, the, the human uh, humanity and the human mind and the human hands have created many wonderful, fabulous, beneficial things. I'm not knocking any of it. But there's not a church. There's not a program. There's not a next steps unit. There's not a, a medical device. There's not a devotional. There's not a TV series that when something is dead and long dead can breathe life back into it. Only our God can. And so my question to you this morning is, what's dead? What have you given up on? Maybe, maybe you, you find yourself in one of those shoes. Maybe even you've held on to that death for so long, you've allowed it to become your identity. You have an excuse for why you can't see God operate in your life. And what it takes is changing the way you say things. That's getting on your knees in front of God and repenting and saying, God, I am so sorry for saying, where were you, God? Change my heart and my mind to say, only you know, God. Only you know. And so my first question this morning, if that's you, if there's a miracle that you've, you've been longing for, maybe you gave up on it. Maybe, maybe everyone else has told you that it's never going to happen. Maybe it was 50 years ago. I don't know. And you need something this morning. I'm going to give you that opportunity. It might sound a little crazy, but we'll get there. But the second question I have, and I would be remiss if I didn't offer this opportunity. One, because I'm evangelist, and that's what evangelists do. But second, for me personally, what an amazing place and time to offer the salvation of Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know my Jesus... I don't know what other Jesus you've heard. I've heard a lot of Jesuses in my time. I've been in a lot of circles. I've, I've, I've heard people say, yeah, well, I heard a Jesus that hates this group of people and hates this particular thing. That's not my Jesus. Well, I heard uh, of a Jesus that said, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus says, come as you are, but you'll never leave the way you were. And I've heard this question, and maybe this is you this morning. 
Maybe you're on the edge of your seat getting ready to fall into the grace of God, but the last thing holding off is this question, and I have heard this one time and time again. Yeah, but if God's so loving, why does he send people to hell? And the truth is he doesn't send anyone to hell. You see, to be sent somewhere is to not have a choice. If I tell my kids to clean their room, they do not have a choice. They either clean the room or they suffer the consequences and they still clean their room, right? Think of it this way. If you're a soldier, whether you agree with the war or not, when you're sent into a conflict, you have to go. To be sent somewhere is to not have a choice, but our loving Father gave us a miraculous, beautiful exchange of a choice. What does the psalm say? That should I choose to make my bed in the heights of heaven, he will, of course, be right there with me. But should we choose to make our bed in the depths of hell, he will still be right there with me. So the truth is, you can choose to go to hell, but you can never go there unloved or alone. And so instead of this, this, this picture that maybe you have in your head of an angry, petulant God with a sword in his hand chasing behind the sinner, waiting for them to stumble in their folly so he can cut them into a billion, million pieces, I hope is replaced with the image of a loving father whose arms are wrapped around that filthy sinner. A sinner whose head is down ever so stubbornly marching towards the edge of destruction. And the whole time, God is weeping, saying, please don't do this. Please don't. I have something better for you. But if this is the choice you make, I am not letting go. But I have so much more. There's those words again. I have so much more. And whether you're saved or unsaved, he wants to give you so much more. See, salvation goes beyond punching your ticket out of hell and into heaven. That's just the surface of it. That's life. But what does it say he came to give us? Life and life more abundant. You see, the gospel is the greatest blood transfusion the world has ever seen. All of my blood taken out and all of his blood put into me. And now every drop of his miraculous blood courses through my veins and oozes out every fiber of my being. You see, the gospel salvation, the fullness of salvation is being able to walk into a room and darkness starts to tremble. Sickness starts to vanish. The religious start to get a little uppity-uppity, and that's okay. But the sinners, they don't know why. It doesn't make sense, but they just want to be around you. Do you know the fullness of salvation this morning? Have you experienced something so much more? So for those of you that saved, you're going to join me in just a second. But for those of you that maybe you're on the edge of your seat, ready to fall into the hands of Jesus Christ. I'm going to make it super easy for you. I hope it's probably one of the simplest gospel opportunities that's ever been presented. I'm not going to have you bow your heads. I'm not going to have you close your eyes. I'm not even going to have you pray an ornate prayer after me. See, I read a scripture that says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you want to meet my Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And I just want you to shout his name, Jesus, with everything that you have. And for those of you that are saved, but maybe you're looking for a miracle.
Maybe you've forgotten your heritage in Jesus Christ. Maybe you thought something was dead and you need to see it come back to life. I want you to shout as well. On the count of three, with every bit of desperation you have, because that's what the gospel is. It's not about anything we can do. It's about a desperate group of people that find themselves before a loving God. So with everything you have on the count of three, if you need a miracle, whether that's salvation or something in your body or something in your relationships or something in your circumstance, you can jump to your feet. You can fall on your knees. I don't care. But shout his name on the count of three. Here we go. One. Two, three, Jesus! Amen. Give him a praise offering. And I will stake everything I have, everything I believe, and everything that I am. That before you finish saying that name, something is changing. Something is breaking. Something is coming back to life. The bones are starting to rattle. I believe that much in the power of the blood. I believe that much in the name of Jesus Christ. But I have one more question. If you said that name with all the hope of salvation for the very first time today, would you do me the honor of standing to your feet so that I can celebrate with you? That is one of the greatest things that could ever happen. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's just give God a clap offering this morning. I will be here to pray with anyone if anyone needs prayer, if that's okay with you, Pastor. I don't mind laying hands on anyone. It's part of the Great Commission. God sent me out. He said to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, which in that translation means the kingdom is so close you can touch it. And he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Okay, let's do this, right? But for most of you, you don't need me to pray over you. You just need to jump to your feet, your head up with expectation in your heart and say, only you know, God. Because if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And pastor, I am done. Pastor said, come on up.